0: OK, well, this is the second of our series of talks on Miracles, um, following on from Hovann's excellent talk last week on uh, turning water into wine. And it's been a good week for Miracles, hasn't it? Um, many people thought it would take a miracle for England's cricketers to win the Ashes. Um, and yet we smashed the Aussies, so miracles really can happen. And, and I'll be praying for a miracle tomorrow night, when Crawley Town played Derby County in the FA Cup. And you never know, do you, with these things? Um, although I read in the paper this week that our, our MP, Henry Smith, he thinks crawley can go on and win the competition. And let's hope he knows more about politics than he does about football, because that's not going to happen, <laughs> is it? And I've seen lots of sporting sort of miracles in my time, triumphing against all the odds. Um, and when that happens, that's, that's always impressive, isn't it? It's often unexpected. But and, and it looks miraculous, but that's not really what miracles are, is it? The Gospels say very clearly that Jesus performed miracles. He turned water into wine. He healed the chronically sick. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He calmed a storm with words and he walked on the water. He even brought dead people back to life. And if you ask anyone to name one of Jesus' miracles, it's a fair bet they'd say the feeding of the 5,000. It's a famous miracle and it's in all four of the Gospels. And as you heard in the reading, it's a very simple story. It's on page um, 1069, I think, in your Bible, if you want to follow. Uh, But basically, some people were following Jesus because they'd seen him healing the sick. Others were following him because they were inspired by his stories and his teachings. And maybe some people were just following him to see what all the fuss was about. And if you start following someone, you can't be sure where you're going to end up. Maybe some of those people had just popped out that morning to buy a paper and got caught up in all the excitement. And then they find themselves up on a mountain, a good way from home, some hours later. Following Jesus might take you to places you didn't expect to go. So be warned. And there's this huge crowd of people up on this mountain. And apparently it was 5,000 men, plus women and children. So it might be nearer 10,000 than 5,000. And it's getting late. And Jesus realises that um, maybe they haven't really brought any food with them because they weren't really expecting to be there. So he does that famous thing where he takes a boy's sort of five loaves and two fishes and he manages to feed all those people with them. He gives thanks to God and he distributes the bread and the, and the fish and everyone gets fed. He takes care of their physical needs. And not only that, but as Andy said, he had more left over at the end than he had to begin with. 12 baskets, one for each disciple to hold. Amazing, what a great miracle. I thought there were lots of ways to approach this talk. I thought I could ask if anyone here has any food for them, with them, sorry. And maybe we could rustle up some chocolate between us or some biscuits or something, and we could all have a little picnic during the sermon. That might be fun. And I'm feeling a bit peckish, so I was, I was tempted to do that. Or I thought I could tell you, about how Sue and I actually saw this miracle for ourselves a few years ago. We went to Wintershore to see the life of Christ performed in the open air. I think John and Joan, you may have been there. Uh, And We followed a group of actors around a huge site as they recreated all the famous scenes from the Bible. We went to a barn with Mary and Joseph and we saw Jesus' birth. We went down to a lake for Jesus' baptism and later we went back to that lake and we saw him walk on the water. We walked with Jesus as he carried his cross up to the Mount of Crucifixion and we saw him get hoisted up and killed. And later uh, we watched as the stone was rolled away and he sort of came back to life and walked among us. About halfway through, around lunchtime, the actor who was playing Jesus, he sat us down on a hill uh, and he preached a sermon on the Mount to us and it was very effective. And then he did the thing with the loaves and the fishes. A boy came up with his five small loaves and his two fishes, And Jesus sort of gave thanks to God for them Um, and he put these sort of loaves and fish into a basket on the table and then he sort of asked the disciples to come along and take some bread from this basket and feed us all and they came and they went and put their hands in the basket and they started throwing bread out into the crowd and everyone who was there on that hill got some bread to eat there must have been about i don't know 500 of us 2000 of us there was a load of us wasn't there Um, and we all got bread to eat and then at the end they collected up all the leftovers And there was 12 baskets, one for each disciple to hold. Amazing. And then um, the actor said it's time for a break, and we all got our sandwiches out and we had our lunch. And some scholars think maybe that's what happened on the day. Because when we saw it, it was a bit of a trick really, wasn't it, what they did with the bread? I'm not quite sure how they did it. We didn't actually get any fish as well. I don't know what happened to the fish. But some scholars think maybe what happened on the day is when the boy brought up his five loaves and his two fish, other people who had got some food with them got their food out and started to share it amongst the people around them, and so everyone got fed and they sort of followed the boy's example. And that's possible, I'm sure. Now, some people worry about whether Jesus' miracles were real miracles or whether there were rational explanations for them. And I wonder, does it matter? I believe God can do anything. And I believe he does perform miracles. And I believe that when you pray, everything can change. And I think that maybe God's miracles sometimes have to be believed to be seen. And maybe if we believe, we're more likely to to see the unexpected as a sign of God doing something miraculous. And I wonder sometimes maybe as Christians, whether we might need to use a little bit more care and attention about labelling some things as miraculous. Finding a parking space might be an answer to your prayer. But it doesn't really count as a miracle, does it? And I wonder if some of us feel that we need to justify God sometimes. Do we feel under pressure to show people who aren't believers some hard evidence, maybe, of the miraculous things that God can do? Making the miraculous credible. And the credible miraculous is tempting for Christians. Because if we can show people something, powerful and astonishing, then maybe it will convince them about God's hope and, and glory. But perhaps we also need to be careful that we don't perpetuate a faith of hype and glory. Because we can't always explain God, can we? And I think it's seldom miracles that draw people to faith. So does God need us to highlight his miracles? Is our task more about pointing to God and letting God doing his own explaining and convincing convincing, convicting. And what makes me think this? When I was reading this, I was reminded a little bit about Elijah, who was told to go outside of a cave and stand before the Lord. And a terrible wind passes, but God is not in the wind. And a great earthquake shakes the mountain, but God is not in the earthquake. And then a fire passes the mountain, but God is not in the fire and then a still small voice comes to Elijah and the still small voice was God. And look what happens at the end of this reading. Jesus doesn't hang around after feeding the 5,000 to give interviews and draw attention to the miraculous thing that he's just done. He doesn't use this marvelous opportunity to advertise his mission on earth or challenge people about their faith. No, Jesus just quietly slips away into the mountains and he lets his miracle speak for itself. Isn't that interesting? What would you have done if you'd been Jesus and you'd just fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves? I guess I might have been tempted to stick around and enjoy the the publicity. I might have used that moment to launch my celebrity cookery book, 5,000 Recipes with Loaves and Fishes. So why did Jesus disappear? And the reading says it was because some people started to see him as the Messiah, the one who had come into the world to lead them and save them. Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus said he was? A bit later on, maybe. Yet at this time, Jesus does something which might be even more miraculous than feeding the 5,000. I think you get two miracles for the price of one in this reading. Because rather than stand up and say something like, the reason I can do all these miraculous things is because I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Jesus does the complete opposite. In front of 5,000 people who all gathered there, or 10,000 people, who all gathered there specifically to see him. And have just seen him do something miraculous. And you might think we'll be watching him very closely to see what he might do next. He just wanders off unnoticed to be by himself on another mountain. That's probably a miracle in itself, isn't it? How did he disappear? The star of the show just quietly slips away, no one spots him go. But why does he disappear? Let's think about our Bible story again. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It's Jesus' famous miracle. But what if the miracle isn't the point of this story? In fact, what if it's not really about the miracle at all? Jesus doesn't use this miracle as his chance to persuade and convert people, does he? Because he just quietly slips away. Maybe this story is really about the generosity of the boy who offers Jesus his loaves and fishes and the compassion and generosity of God. Imagine if you were that young boy, you're probably a long way from home. You've got some food, maybe it's your dinner. Maybe it's the shopping which your mum is expecting you to take home. And she's probably wondering where you are. How are you going to explain to her that you started following this preacher instead of going home? How are you going to explain to her that you used the money she gave you to buy bread and fish, and then you gave the bread and fish away? How might you explain to her that you saw this preacher do this miracle and he fed 5,000 people with the bread and fish that she was going to feed five people with? And how might you explain to her that those 5,000 people were all fed and there was loads of food left over, but there's no food for the five people she was going to feed that evening and your family might not eat? Now, we don't know what the boy's situation was, do we, or what was going through his head. But did he do the right thing giving his food to Jesus? Well, I, I think it's never, it's never wrong to do the right thing. It's never right to do the wrong thing. But those things are easy to say, aren't they? And they're hard to do sometimes. And sometimes doing what God asks us to do may cause us difficulties elsewhere. It's not always easy following Jesus. And when I hear this story of the feeding of the 5,000, a challenging question comes into my head. If Jesus could feed the 5,000, then how come so many people in the world don't have enough to eat? Well, Jesus said the poor will always be with us, didn't he? And he was right about that almost half the people in the world today. They live on less than pound fifty a day. And here's another challenging question. If that boy could offer his loaves and fishes so Jesus could feed 5,000 people, then can those of us who have so much more offer up much more of what we have and give it to God so God can take it and bless it and do something miraculous with it? Those are hard questions, aren't they? God's a great provider, but he doesn't usually magic things out of thin air. And if he did, our prayer lives might be more eventful, perhaps more dangerous. But God can take something which may seem small and insignificant to us and do something significant and great with it. Sporting miracles like England winning the Ashes, they're usually down to good players working hard and playing as a team. And maybe some of God's miracles start with us offering ourselves. If we don't play our small part, then maybe God won't do his big part. And what marvellous miracles might God do if we were all a bit more generous with our time and our effort and our gifts and our possessions? What is a miracle? Well, perhaps a miracle is when the person who has what is needed gets connected with the person in need and both are blessed. Now, I want to return to that challenging question I posed earlier. If Jesus could feed the 5,000, then how come so many people in the world don't have enough to eat? Because the Bible gives us this picture of Jesus up on a mountain, taking a few pieces of bread and fish, and using them to feed 5,000 people. And I think it's a visual aid. It's a very striking picture, isn't it? Firstly, I think it's an echo of the miraculous feeding of the Israelites in the desert when God rained down bread or manna from heaven to sustain them. The people on the mountain would have been very familiar with that old story from Exodus. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's Jesus on that day showing his disciples and all the people on the mountain that God still cares about the hungry and that he can and he will feed them. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's also a preview of what Jesus would do later when he says, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But when the the Jesus story gets to Easter, he does his greatest miracle. He offers his body and his blood as a sacrifice for all those who would follow him, for rich and for poor. Give us this day our daily bread, we pray, don't we, every week, everyone can be fed no one who believes in Jesus should ever lack for spiritual food. And just like there was more bread left over at the end of feeding the 5,000 than there was at the beginning, another miraculous thing, I believe, is that the more we feed ourselves on Jesus, the more of Jesus we find that there is for us to feed upon. Now, if you were here, you may remember that Gwilym preached a few weeks before Christmas to us here, uh, and he encouraged us to practice meeting with God in silence. And did you see that TV programme last year, which I think was called The Big Silence? And the abbot said something that, it really sort of struck with me, really. He said, silence is the gateway to the soul, and the soul is the gateway to God. Well, practising silence, that's an act of faith, isn't it? And probably because we can't know for certain that anything is to be gained by it. It might be a waste of our most precious commodity, time. But let's remember what Jesus did after his miracle because it seemed to be the perfect opportunity, while he had everyone's attention, to exploit that moment. But what did Jesus do? He ticked the box for no publicity, and he headed off into the silence. Into the silence to pray, and to spend time with that small, still voice of God. Into the silence, which is the gateway to the soul, which is the gateway to God. I think Jesus knew where the real food was to be found. And he knew how nourishing time spent in God's presence can be. And how necessary it was for him to do that. And we're called to be more like Jesus, aren't we? And to try and do what Jesus did. And if you haven't got a New Year's resolution yet, maybe looking to spend more time with Jesus in the silence this year might not be such a bad idea. Food for thought, perhaps. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are all we need. Help us to live in the wonder and joy of your miraculous love and to seek more of you this year. And please help us to be all that you need us to be as we journey on in our walk with you. And help us to be with those you have given us as neighbours to love. Amen.